You're right, bud. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to hear a dream I had? Go on. I'm always into dreams. He's always into dreams, him. So I have a big like dream journal, and what you do is you put down all these things like how strange it was, the type of theme, all the main characters, location, what you ate before you went to bed, um, and I write down these things. And I always have weird dreams that I always feel like when I tell people them, they just feel like I've made them up. So they sound really, really surreal. But oh, I'm I'm well aware of your dreams and how surreal and weird. And you need to see someone about that. I think. Wow, well, this is what this podcast is designed for, you know. So this one is called yes. taking a dip. So, my friend Chris Rowe was driving me to the seaside. I got out of the car early to walk on the cobble pavement. I see the sea. Take my shirt off and dive in. It's going fine for a few seconds until Charlie Smith, my friend, decides to laminate over the sea. He laminates over the sea. The location changes to a front room and makes it a swimming pool built onto the floor. I'm a bit trapped by the laminate, but manage to wriggle out. The pool then turns into tables that have keyboards on them. And Adam Cook, who's another friend of ours, is directing other people to play certain parts. I think you should write all these down and publish them. Yeah, I think I think everyone really wants to hear these. You know, I think I everyone. Do. I do. I, I, in fact, I want you to make me a copy because that's a bit of bedtime reading. And then what we could do is yeah. see if dreams reciprocate after you've read a story about a dream. Ah, oh, that's that's good thinking, that is. And then it can be its own podcast. Yes. What Mar dreams. dreams about and what you dream about when you read Mars Dreams podcast. Dream indeed. Podcast. Indeed. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. There you go. Strong. That's a strong opener there to episode five that we've got now. Hello, everybody. Episode five. Here we are, then, Episode boys. Episode five. That's a whole hand. That is. That's a whole hand. A um, whole hand. And we're on Spotify, ain't we? We're on Spotify. Good evening, Spotify. <laughs> it's great. What's on the old Dodger? <laughs> I was checking the old statistics, and uh, it's starting to shift now into the majority people going onto Spotify, which is great. So yeah, hopefully yeah. that means more listeners and that means hopefully. more clicks and that means more money and then the second we get our money we can stop doing this charade and that's all together. we're that's all we're in this for we were gonna set up a uh what are they called uh crowdfunder we were gonna do that but give us money wasn't really a good headline so no. we had to give you something you know something to give back into society and the music industry uh, and we hope this product suffices and we become millionaires and laugh all the way to the bank, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I was I was hoping to kind of after maybe the first first episode, maybe even to stretch it to, like, I'd have a million pound. But I don't know. Someone, yeah. someone's, someone's told me wrong. I thought podcasting was all successful and famous and I was like, I'm going to have a limit by now. Same, same. I mean, I, I hear about these big lads in the podcast game and... I assumed I'd be one of them. Well, I am a big lad. I am in the podcast game, and I'm better than you all. So if you're listening, <laughs> podcasters, we're coming for you. I like that. Right? I like that. You That's should good. be worried, because Marvin Mez are coming for you. Anyway, <laughs> this week, Marv, what are we discussing? We are going to be talking about cover albums. Now, Ooh. trying to Google research for this, and you type in cover albums... I think we both discussed that we both kept coming up with articles that are the best album covers, the worst album covers. You won't believe number five on these top 10 album covers. <laughs> so that was annoying. So it is albums that contain songs by other people, maybe performed by one artist or maybe a couple of artists. Um, 
but yeah cover albums so when a legendary artist or maybe a not well-known artist or band wants to go tackle somebody else's song maybe a song they know is going to work will the song just be able to transcend any kind of uh, version that gets played along with it or will it uh will it become the band's um crutch and that they're only known for the cover song they've done i mean a most notable one um was something like well the bob dylan kind of story that he well that's good what am i talking about that's the one he (laughs) stole in a way kind of half stole house of the rising sun um from the original songwriter and then what happened was is that then he then only became known for that song around his circles when he's starting out so it's like this is on his first album so right, he was annoyed okay. about it but obviously then later on the birds did hey mr tambourine man which is bob Dylan's song and that became quite successful for them and maybe was part of their sound um and then obviously stuff like Jimi hendrix all on the watchtower which was a bob Dylan song off of john wesley harding and Bob Dylan was like, yep, yeah, better than mine. That is the quintessential version. Go, He's correct. go see that. And it, it fits Jimi Hendrix catalog completely. So when it works, it works. When it's great, it's great. But we're not here for that. We nope. know all there is to know about that. I've got lists. Yep. I've got tables. I've got all these things. I want to hear about the bad ones. I want to hear about the ones where maybe it didn't work so much. Maybe uh, it's a bit, oh, it's a bit kind of don't know what's going on and i want to revisit them i want to listen to them we want to listen to them put in research and figure out and go you know what yeah it's not the best thing it's not the greatest thing but look it's music you got you got to appreciate people trying you got to see things from a certain perspective and we want to defend stuff i think that's kind of like a mission statement we say it a couple of times before but that's kind of a mission statement we i like it when i hear i get dms from people saying you know what I went back and listened to that album. It ain't as bad as I thought. It ain't as bad as I thought. Or people listening to the albums that we uh, talk about. And yes. what we will do, someone suggested that we should make a Spotify playlist or a YouTube playlist of maybe a couple of songs from the albums that we've talked about, just so then we can keep adding to it each episode so people can just kind of go through and they can go, oh, yeah, that auto-tune on the George Strait record is terrible. And oh, yeah, Black Sabbath, that doesn't sound like them. And... All these things, eh? How's uh, about it, Mez? You up for that? Pop, um... I am absolutely up for that. Absolutely. I like that. Yes. That. Yes. So, anyway, Marv, did you... In fact, no, I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to talk about me because everyone wants to hear about Big Mez. Anyway, this week, I had a big old dive mm-hmm. into the live album of George Strait. Ooh. Gave like it a, a big go. old dive because you um, you said about it. You said about how it's it's great and the songs are well written and bladdy bladdy blah whatever you want to call it. I am now going to give my critical analysis in twenty words or less of That's that concise. album. That is concise. Something and we're not. Got... Something we're not well known for, but we're getting better at it. I think. We yeah we you gotta be concise where where you can you know <laughs> so as I said I I listened to this album now I'm I am not known for my country prowess I am not the biggest country fan in the world it is no secret that I do not dive in however however I bloody loved it 
Wow. I bloody loved it. Despite all we said about, you know, the uh, auto-tune and, yeah, it shouldn't really have this much on it and that much on it, etc., etc. Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And and even the name, The Cowboy Rides Away. I yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great. How fitting. How fitting for a man with such a legacy. And, yeah, the auto-tune's too much. I'm not going to lie. It is too much. There are mm. points. We discussed this in the week. It sounds like a vocoder at points. It is that bad. Like, I think it's in the um, the song he did with Cheryl Crow. Yeah, here for a good time. It, in the chorus, at certain points, you'd be forgiven to think it 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 it, it was it was a vocoder. It was a keyboard effect, yeah, ra- rather than an actual like vocal. Um, but no, I the overall experience loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, I think a personal favourite was Arkansas Dave. Mostly because it sounds like I'm saying my friend Dave from Kansas. Arkansas Dave, yeah, he's all right, isn't he? Uh, but no, I, I thought it was great. As you said, all the points you touched upon last week, songs are really well written, really catchy, earwormy, obviously really, really well performed. It is just a bit of a mystery on that auto tune. It really is. Uh, and again, I'm really glad you liked it because, again, what a caliber of an artist um, to yeah, do that. Absolutely. But it just, it's strange. You think with decisions like that that can make or break an album, can divide opinion, that a person like that, like George Strait third, you know, most, most decorated um, artists, so to speak, in terms of platinum albums, multi-platinum and gold, that that thing happened where it's, it sounds like a mistake. It sounds yeah. like someone has given, given the record company the wrong um, final master, you know? But yeah. Yeah. That's nice to see that like you can actually get past that and still have a good time. Oh, absolutely. Just like the song. eh? So if you don't know what we're on about, go listen to our last podcast. It's all about live albums. Um, Hello, Cleveland. I called it after spinal tap. Hello, if you, caught, Cleveland. If, you caught, if you caught the reference, Mez. So, oh, of yeah, course go, I did. Go have a listen back um, and yeah, tell us what you think. We always want to have comments. I want to hear comments on any episode. I don't care how long ago it was. If it was a month ago, which it was, because that was probably when it, we started, it right? Was, yeah, yeah. It must have been now, given that we're on episode five. There you go. Well, that's, that's mathematical deduction there. It is indeed. It is indeed. But yes, indeed. I loved it. I loved it. Did you have anything to listen to this week, Mark? I did. I had to... Oh, I say I had to. I listened to Sheer Heart Attack by Queen, Mez. Good lad, good lad. And they've been awaiting my response. I have. And I've been eagerly awaiting it. You've been, you've been eagerly awaiting. I think it's such a shit... It's actually really, really good. <laughs> I actually really, really liked it. I Great, really it? enjoyed it. Um, Brighton Rock. Oh, my God. It stunned me. It's amazing, for the, isn't it? For the Brian May freak out and the fact that like his chugging and his lead playing. Yeah. For for 74, I was like, this is fast. Oh, this yeah. is like almost beating Sabbath fast for that time. Oh, Duke oh. and Shred. And I'm like, but not even like Shred in the term of like maybe how I say Shred. Shred in the term of like in the metal arena. I think that Brian May, if he put his mind to it, or left Queen and was like, 
you know what? I want to go a little bit harder and faster and heavier. He could <laughs> he could play in Metallica. He could play in these really fast bands. He could play yeah. in Death. He could play in Venom. He's no, that good. Great. It's so really good. took me by surprise. So I was really excited for that. Flick of the wrist with those like trademark harmonies. Yeah. Like, yeah. So lush. Lily of the Valley was lush. Um, do you know who's doing the high note on In the Lap of the Gods? Roger Taylor. He do, does he do all the high ones? He every every single in any Queen song where there's a stupid high falsetto, like to the point where it's almost grating on your ears, it's Roger Taylor. It's very interesting, very interesting. Um She makes me Stormtrooper and Stilettos. I mean I liked I liked every single song. Like this is a stellar album, yeah. really, really good. Um Are they sustained guitars acting as synths on that track? Yes. I really like that effect. And again, for 74 and for not, necess- not necessarily the irony of the fact that Queen said, you know, we don't use synths, but the fact that they could actually replicate synths yeah. with guitars there. I mean, not so much live, but I just liked that. It was a good little addition. It was a little bit of tongue in cheek. I liked all the songs. Uh, I think my overall impression was that it was just a solid rock record that has flashes of their later work. Obviously, they perfect with something like Night at the Opera and uh, their classic run. But I was, I went into it thinking what I thought Queen would sound like. Maybe Queen One that you have shown me, um, and maybe thought it was the operatic kind of stuff. But no, really pleasantly surprised. I'm going to say it again because England is great. Really yeah. pleasantly surprised. Um, it sounded very British sounding and English sounding. It rock. is very much like that. Yeah, uh, and there wasn't a lot of like American kind of influence or blues wasn't necessarily there um yes i liked it a lot i liked it a lot Can you know I what, Mez? go on then oh, what do you want sorry this is the fact <laughs> i just wanted to ask do you remember much of bring back that leroy brain yes only because you've played it to me quite a lot so i recognize the show i was I like. gonna say what what were your thoughts on that without my influence of going this is more of it's the best it was Great, just cheeky it? it was cheeky yeah. it Amazing. was it was like they didn't they like I said, that was kind of the flashes of like what their later albums would be. And it is. They just didn't. The, the breadth that they kind of had of like going full on punk, full on really, really fast to these kind of like jaunty singing them in the pub songs, like a British pub yeah. song. Um, but yeah, what's the next one I've got to listen to, Mez? I'm going to go for another Queen one for you. I'd, I'd say go Queen 2 now. Okay, I'm going to go Queen 2. Go Queen 2. That's pretty that's much. Like... Go on, go on. That's like Height of the Prog, um, songs about ogres and battles and fairies and all sorts. I really oh, think you'll no. enjoy that one. Oh, no. But if, you, if, you don't, if you're not in it for the longevity, but you are, because I've told you to be, go and listen <laughs> to Queen 2. I mean, I'll put it this way. I never want to see Lord of the Rings or any of that stuff. No, no, no. the no, thought no. of ogres and... All that rubbish. That's I don't even know hobbits. You know what I'm saying? The, oh, the just... songwriting is stellar. It's just some of the songs have lyrics invocative okay. of I those think, themes. I'll think of happier times then when he starts talking about ogres and hobbits <laughs> and the land of dragons and all that stuff. But hey, it's what it is. It's what it is. So yeah, I'll give I'll give Old Queen to a listen, and maybe you'll give something a listen when we talk about all these. Um, maybe I will. Albums we've got. Maybe I, I might be talking about, but yes, we're talking about cover albums. So we've already kind of touched on when you have a 
you know a song that's not necessarily well known and someone someone covers it and it becomes their signature work um i think that can work for a lot of people like we said Jimi hendrix i think that was really really good not necessarily his signature song but like it became his sound it like the the, it, the song kind of then belonged to him you know um it exists there but that's usually just talking about single songs um rather than whole albums whole albums are kind of a different ball game because what do you do do you kind of go right let's let's just pick on our personal favorites rather than what the our band or our sound is and stick to that and pick other songs how far do you branch out what kind of works with your genre what kind of does how far do you experiment when you do the cover do you stick to what the template is do you try and how much artistic uh, expression and creativity can you like put yourself on these songs before people go like oh you're butchering it oh i don't like it you know example you know good old mama mama robinson or deb's um she does not like higher ground by the chili peppers which is a stevie wonder uh, originally she can't stand it she cannot stand it now i think they do a good job simply for the fact that to me it sounds like a chili peppers song and it doesn't ruin the stevie wonder one i can in my mind listen to the chili peppers one it doesn't revert me straight back to thinking about the stevie wonder one i can kind of view it in its own thing um, yeah i could i could see that yeah yeah and yeah i think that works there is one song that makes me cringe it makes me want to leave any sort of building that i'm in when i hear it one cover song I want to know if you can name it, Marv. I think you can. You know exactly which one I'm on about. The level of hate and contempt I have for this is off the charts. You're going to have to give me give me three clues. Okay, I'm going to give you one because we're already an hour in. <laughs> no, we're not. We're half an hour in. Oh, either. Shut up. Round it <laughs> up. Yeah. What's that this as a percentage? Good for us. This is pretty good for us. Yeah, it's not bad, actually. Um, okay. A very popular metal, well, I say very popular, a popular metal band increased their popularity by covering an absolute stone-cold classic and changed it, and now I want to vomit over every single one of them. The guitarist is playing keyboard, and for some reason, everybody over the age of 40 thinks it's the best thing since Bon Jovi released Living on a Prayer. All I can think of is Van Halen. It's, it's, no. That's not right. What's the nope. band? The band is Disturbed. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I can't stand this song. I can. I oh, hate it. Oh, no. It makes me it angry. Is. It makes me angry. Why have they done that? And why, why do people think it's good? Why? Yeah, he's got it. Shut the up! Yeah, I don't want to hear it. It's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. I don't. I don't want to hear. Yeah, but people go mental for it. Why? Why? Well, I like. Well, I like the song in the first place. It's quite nice. It's a nice rendition. It's soft. It's schmaltzy. The original's quite soft. Go and listen to Simon and Garfunkel. What's wrong with you? Goodness me. Anyway, enough of Mez getting his hair off. Not much of it left to get off. Hey, that was a public service announcement by James Christopher Nathaniel 
no. Robertson Crusoe merit. Um, Where's Crusoe come from? Go, <laughs> go listen to Simon and Garfunkel. And I agree with you. And again, that brings up a good point, which we will get to later on. Um, yeah. But let's actually get into it. So let's dive in. Merit, why don't you yes. go first, lad? Why don't you go oh, first okay. with the pick that you've chosen? So the two albums I'm going to discuss have something in common. In fact, they have two things in common. I'm not going to talk about those until I've talked about the albums individually. So I don't know why I said that. But anyway, just to keep you on tenter hooks, I think. So the first album I have picked, and I want to see your facial reaction to this. I cannot wait. I'm ready. It is, and I'm being totally serious. It is the Crazy Frog Presents Crazy Hits. <laughs> That is what I have picked to discuss as one of the albums in this podcast. Oh, I just got to try and hold back doing a crazy fog impression because it's just going to go into absurdity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so listeners, this is absolutely true. <laughs> absolutely true. Um, and for those of you who are like, nah, he's, what's he on about? He's had an easy ride this week. It's 48 minutes long. So, um, no easy ride for old Mez. Hashtag uh, pray for Mez. Absolutely. So, the two genres I can pigeonhole this album into, um, well, I say two genres, I kind of stole it from a website, but we won't talk about that. Electronica. It's, it's, it's taking influence, mate. It's not it's stealing. Borrowing. Right? It's borrowing. It's uh, borrowing. Yeah. 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 Uh, Electronica and Eurodance. So, I am not very well acquainted with either of those genres, so this was an interesting listen for me. <laughs> um, so it was released in 2005. Underneath, um, I wasn't expecting this, it was released under Universal Music Group. Um, so obviously they have lots of different sort of, I don't know how you, de- how you, how you describe it, like little smaller labels that they already own, like branch offs and stuff like that to other countries um sister labels or subsidiary labels yeah that's the one i'm after thank you marv um so i love this this is amazing (laughs) it debuted number one in the new zealand top 40 (laughs) it also debuted number one in turkey it reached number five in the uk albums chart number 18 in australia and number eighty, uh, number sorry, nineteen on the U.S. Billboard chart. Um, it had absolute, unequivocal mainstream success. This album, unbelievable. But despite that, it is ranked at number six on Rate Your Music's bottom albums of all time list. Wow! In the dumpster. It is really, really not looked back on fondly. Um, So from what I can gather, and I did listen to all of this album, it is basically bits and bobs of well-known tunes and novelty ringtones. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. It's covers of ringtones. Mate, well, I don't think they were designed to be ringtones on the album, but given uh, the era... I grew up in, and I expect you feel the same. When you hear something and it takes you right back, that's exactly what it kept doing for me. I was like, oh, I'm back in 2006. Like, do you know what I mean? Oh, mum, I don't want to get up for school. Shut up. Um, yes. Um, with, anyway, bits and bobs of well-known tunes, novelty ringtones, 
mixed in with random noises from the crazy frog. Now, it also has the very odd, lazily written original tune here and there. So technically, this isn't an entirely covers album. However, however, given the content and given the fame and the reason why this frog gained this fame, (laughs) it is absolutely a cover album in everybody's eyes. And if you don't agree with that, I want to hear your argument, to be honest with you. Um, uh, Obvious success down to the ringtone boom of the noughties. Um, if you listen to this, listening to this in the future, mobile phones became a very, very big thing in the noughties, in the nineties as well. But in the noughties, as things evolved and technology got better, you could buy these like magazines. And on the back page, I expect you'll remember this better than I will, Marv. On the oh, back page, you'd have like text this, this for this ringtone and this ringtone, and you'd have massive, great A4 lists of all these ringtones and some of them obviously is on paper you don't know what it is it could be absolutely anything and it would also there was a time i don't know if you remember this marv where it would appear on adverts on tv like for you to text in and get this ringtone and buy this ringtone on tv Mm. at like three o'clock in the afternoon like they they have they put some money into this unbelievable um so yeah that's that's the obvious reason why it became so popular to me it's not offensive however it does become very grating after a long time of listening (laughs) um the production and the instrumentation uh makes it for such an incredibly dated sounding album because um it's got all the the naughty synthetic beats the fakest of the fake, like the cymbal crashes, where it's like, like stuff like that. It's just any more cymbal crashes that you could hear. Any more drum effects? No, I actually think I just listed off all of the cymbal sounds on that album. Believe it or not. What about kicking a snare? You got got a sample for that? I haven't. I'm afraid it's like a. There you go. You have that. Hi-hat, stereotypical sound effects, so like a... <laughs> you just said a minute ago all you got is the symbols, and now you're doing everything. Ah, uh, yeah, great. but that was for the symbols, Marv. That was for the symbols. <laughs> um, and, like, and, and the synth sounds, the really horrible, like, zappy sort of do-do-do sort of synthy sounds that if you were about in the noughties, in the mid-noughties, you know exactly what I'm talking about. At points, I was like, is this a serious album? Like, it's got to be a cash grab. It's absolutely got to be. And due to, there's like three plus albums, by the way, of his stuff. Unbelievably. I didn't touch the other two. Um, Well, I think there's more than that. Anyway, I didn't touch the others. Um, But the Avalanche of merch, the toys, soft toys, um, phone cases, key rings, stickers. It has this, to be a cash This grab. frog does everything, and he's still got time to put out three stellar albums. <laughs> stellar. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I thought I'd give you a bit of a backstory, because nobody seems to have any sort of idea where this came from. Okay. Um, and nobody seems to know a whole lot about this album either. But the crazy I... frog... 
I remember. Go on, sorry. You, you. No, no, go ahead. uh, You can't. You can't. I'm just saying. You can't. Listeners can't see what happened, but you would cut. You cut out. You froze, and I thought I could jump in and grab my chance. Oh, you go ahead, buddy. I was just going to say that all I remember of Crazy Frog is the Axel F cover that he did, and in the music video, he's riding around. I want to say on on an invisible motorbike, and he's going around all these like motorways and highways, and he's not wearing any trousers. So no. when you're a bit young and you kind of go, hee hee, look at the little frog's winky. Um, <laughs> you yeah. say what, Marv? You go, hee hee, look at the little frog's winky. Wonderful. And you're going, dun, 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 dun. Let's go crazy. Me, me. And then, you know, that is, that's <laughs> official bit of audio there. Sorry, i got to turn that off. There you go, I turned it off now. Yeah. Merritt, yeah. you carry on, son. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, and funnily enough, that caused controversy. It was controversial because what, a, fro- a frog's penis. Yep, that little a, a penis. Frog's blue penis because he was blue. Yep, it it caused controversy. I'm telling you that now. Um, I, of course, it was the UK that it that they had an issue with it. Um, I do believe it was due to um, well, obviously, plenty of complaints. Like, absolutely loads of complaints. Um, it was originally known as The Annoying Thing. Do you remember that, Marv? I don't know. I don't. No, oh, I had a I, I had a fleeting memory of it being called that. But anyway, in February 2005, viewers submitted a number of complaints to the UK's Advertising Standards Authority uh, regarding the advertising campaign complaining that the crazy frog appeared to have a visible penis and scrotum. Some parents complained that this made inappropriate viewing for children. There were also complaints regarding the frequency with which the advertisement appeared on television, reportedly up to twice an hour across most of the day, with some channels showing it more than once per commercial break. Unbelievable. Um, the ASA didn't uphold the complaints, pointing out that the advert was already classified as inappropriate for airing during children's television programs um, because it, it contained a premium rate telephone number. Obviously, you had to text in and pay for the ringtone and whatever. Yeah. Um, but eventually, I remember this, it was censored. He didn't have a winky anymore. They got rid of it, which is very sad. He didn't look too pleased about it either. But anyway, uh, it was invented in Sweden by a guy called Eric Wernquist. Um, nice name, nice name. Yeah, great name. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Eric, let me know. Come for a coffee. Marketed by ringtone provider Jamba, which Jamster. I bet you remember that name. Um, yeah, I do, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, and it was originally created to accompany a sound effect produced in 1997 whilst a guy called Daniel was attempting to imitate the sound of a two-stroke motorcycle engine. So so the frog isn't even like the the impression. It's an impression no. of an inanimate object yep. that then was just called the annoying thing, and then they went, yep. let's make it a frog, and they've monopolized it into this whole yep. other thing that sells, that makes merchandise for kids to buy yet you can't let the kids watch the advert or um, ring in for the ringtone. 
because that's an adult thing you know that has like yeah. bills and money and stuff so that how weird for something that Mental, was like huge and that I must have had good marketing on that that record. It just seems like a weird PR nightmare. Yeah, it, it must. I can only imagine the manager of... Because, again, I couldn't find a name for anyone who made the album. It's just under the Crazy Frog. I think the frog did it. You think the frog did it? I think the frog did it. I think the frog did it. The whole thing, one take. I think he you... did. I think he did all the tracks live. He got his little <laughs> frog buddies, all right, and he went, "Look, we're here, we're naked, we're ready to go." Yeah, come on! And it was Winkies recorded out. as the album Let's was. Go, Winkies out. You know what I'm saying? Multiple instruments being played. I'll leave it up to the imagination of the viewers uh, how some certain. Yeah, I, I, I'm played, not gonna. You know, you know, we're gonna keep it clean here. We like talking about frog penises, but sometimes <laughs> when you're sitting down, you're sitting down, you're having your fish and chips, or you're having your nice little uh, vegan lasagna for me. You know, something like that. I don't want to be chowing down on that. Look up and see a f- animated frog's penis that used to be a annoying thing that used to be a sound of a bloke imitating a motorbike. I don't want that. A quarter to ten when I'm watching Emma Del repeats. <laughs> get it to get get it together, crazy imitating annoying frog motorcycle engine man. But it, the the whole thing is is what's mad about it is the fact that. I got all this information, but no one seems to know the name of the producer, the recording artist. It's just the crazy frog. Anyway, here's our last bit of controversy for this album before I give it my overall thoughts. I, I want to hear the songs. I want to hear all other, the songs. What other songs? What are the, what are the cover songs that he did on the? Oh oh the oh album? oh! We'll get to that, my I, lad. In fact, because we'll I want to that say, right I want to say. There might be a Queen song on there. Am I mistaken? Um, there isn't on this particular album. Um, but there, he may well have... He did Ice Ice Baby, so... Class. Yeah, which is... That's the already, level we're talking of. Yep. Not even the original song. So you want me to list you the tracks, do you? I wanna, yeah, I want to tra- hear all the cover tracks, or just give me the whole album list. Okay, so we've got an intro, which is as it suggests, an intro, believe it or not, which is Sounds of the Swamp, (laughs) embossed with the Crazy Frog Awakening. (laughs) Um, A lot of these kind of shifted to background noise, so I don't remember a lot about them, I won't lie. (laughs) Uh, Track number two. Now, Marv, do you remember our rule, which tends to be, if the album's good, track number two is a pumper. Yeah, I think that is a, it must be a market employee or something like that, but every great album that I own, track two, is always amazing. Not yeah. necessarily a single, but it like it's one of the best album tracks on there. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I believe it to be true, and I believe that Crazy Frog, he's going to be there, right? What is the banging track two that Crazy Frog is going to give us today, Mez? It's Axel F. Oh, that's what I'm saying. The lead single, the band censored infamous lead single, controversial video. How long do you think it is, Marv? Oh, I reckon there's a single version and an album version. So I'm going to say album version. I'm going to go four minutes 20. Oh, he's gone. He's gone so over. It's 2.49. Believe it or not, I didn't know it was possible. But if you're doing something you really enjoy, if you're in a really good mood, and you really don't want that time to end, 
put on this album because it makes time stop. <laughs> I checked my phone, my Spotify, about three times per track on average just to go how much of this is left. <laughs> wow, to make it really feel that long each track. Oh, mate, it's so long and it's just the same. Oh, we'll get into that. So, Axel F, we all know what that's all about. Popcorn. Are you aware of that cover? I'm a, I'm a, well, the only one I'm aware of is Axel F. I know he did a Queen song. Unfortunately, not on this album, but <laughs> hey, he's a, he's, he knows what he's doing. But, but are you, I'm, are you aware, aware? I'm aware of the song Popcorn. So yeah. I'm does it what does this what does it sound like compared to the original? What, what has the like, frog done? It's it, the frog has taken the main melody twice, had a dance breakdown, had another main melody, and then ended it. Concise, short and concise. And, Go on, frog, I knew it. And track four to track 16 is pretty much the same. <laughs> but I will still list the tracks for you. I don't know Do it, all please. of these songs. Okay. Okay. So we've got track four, Womp, There It Is. Track Whoop. five, Womp, W-H-O-O-M-P, exclamation mark, Whoop. open bracket, There It Is, close bracket. <laughs> There we are then. <laughs> oh, throwing it back. Track five, one thousand and one nights. Never heard of it. Is it called one thousand and one nights? Because that's how long it takes to get this album out of your head and out of your life. I think it might be a. a, 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 a oh, I've gotten stuck there. The delay button. I've switched that off. <laughs> it might be the case. Yes. That's like three um, years. It, it is three years, indeed. Um, I ain't got three years to keep this in my head. Oh, out. mate. It's, it's next level. Anyway, I'm going to list the rest of them. Some of them I've heard of, some of them I haven't. Okay. Track six is Don't You Want Me, and unfortunately, it is not Don't You Want Me, Baby. <laughs> it is not that, which I was <laughs> gutted to find out. I'm gutted, too. Um, track seven is Dirty Frog. Ooh. Um which is, again, another dance remix of something I've never heard. Magic Melody is track eight, which is actually one of the better songs on the album. Is it, a, is it an original frog composition? I believe it is, you know. Cheeky frog. Cheeky frog. Track nine is Pump Up the Jam. Track ten is In the 80s. The Ooh. Mighty 80s. The Frog Sleeps Tonight. I just made that up. Track 11 is Pinocchio, which is also a better song off the album. <laughs> Track 12 a mez, is... A mez, a mez top pick, you might say. Yeah, that's that's my top pick. Track... What are we on? 12. Um, 12, yes. Wonderland. Don't remember a thing about it. <laughs> um, 13, get ready for this. Uh, which is a cover. 14, I'm going to discuss last... In fact, no, I'm going to discuss 15 first, is I Like to Move It. Oh, Oh, yeah. Solid dance classic. Oh, yeah. When I was about seven, eight years old. Oh, he's got the flame shirt and the wraparound sunglasses, the spiked up hair. And I've seen the TV advertisement of Chew It, and they're saying, I like to chew it, chew it. 
<laughs> and I'm there, I'm eating chewits, being like, oh, yes, get it in yep. now. Yeah. Um, so, 14 for some unknown reason. And there's a good reason why I've gone 15, 14, and I'll discuss the last track in a minute. For some unknown reason, the 14th track is the theme for the American show, Dallas. What? It is the Crazy Frogs version of the theme from Dallas. That makes zero sense. Yep. Who is who is this appealing to? What? I don't know. Who is listening to that track? Me. That's Apparently right. Apparently you. You're, you're yeah. the demographic. People who need to discuss it on a podcast. Well, in actual I... fact, in actual fact, that was something else I wanted to point out. How many monthly listeners do you think the Crazy Frog gets on Spotify, Marv? Oh, I reckon he's hitting more than a million. I reckon he's reckon? definitely hitting. I reckon he's definitely hitting more than a million. I think he's, I think he's punching. I'm going to say four million listeners a month. I reckon he's over. He's he, he's overshot it again. It's a million one hundred fifty-seven thousand two hundred six. Having said that, the top track, the top played track of the Crazy Frogs. What do you think it is? I want to say it's Axel F. And you'd be correct. Also, I've just yeah. found out they do We Are The Champions as well. I'm never going to listen to that. Um, <laughs> no, please. Please. No, you, no, please. You have to listen to that. No, please. No, okay. Me. Listeners, please, please <laughs> DM James Merritt Guitar. Oh, I'll Lord. Put, I'll put his Instagram handle. Oh, no. <laughs> James underscore Merritt Guitar. And oh, please just no. constantly send him We Are The Champions Crazy Frog song. And just keep pestering him for it because I want to hear it. People want to hear your opinion, please. I don't know what the worst thing is about it. The fact that it's got in brackets ding a dang dong after it. Or the fact that he's got radio edit to suggest that there's an album cut as well. I don't know what's worse. And what's the worst of those two evils? That's what I want to know. Ding a dang dong. What's this a carry on film? It's gotta be, isn't it? This is ridiculous. It's got to appeal to someone and I want to know who. <laughs> anyway, sixty four million times people have gone on Spotify and played Axel F by the Crazy Frog. And why not? Half of them are DJs playing at kids' parties. <laughs> They've gotta be. They've gotta be. Let's be honest. So they've got they've got the dip dabs out. They got the little uh chocolate wafer things with a little uh chalk dip yep, all hyped yep. up. They got the hoot scoop baby step song, five, six, yep. seven, eight. They got Reach for the Stars, and they got Axel F. Bang. And on top of that, they've got those little drinks in the in the plastic sort of yeah, cube with the straw that you've got to like stab it through. You've got to stab it in the top. And it's just red flavour and blue flavour. Yeah, that's all you get, kid. Well, it's probably different now with society moving on. Anyway. Last year, and this is my last bit of background info, but I feel like it was important to note for two reasons. I'm I'm loving it so far. Last year, a Twitter account was made for the Crazy Frog. Okay, late to the game. Later on the same day, a new album was announced. He's back. This was last year. He's back. (laughs) Oh, my God. And they also posted a picture of him hanging himself. 
that is not what I was expecting. That's terrible. And after much, much hate, they had to take it down and apologize. However, does this mean that we're going to see a posthumous Crazy Frog album? Are you implying that he's dead? He could be if he's hung himself. If there's a picture, all I'm saying is if there's a picture of him hanging, because he's hung himself, does that mean he's dead? Are we going to see a posthumous Crazy Frog album? I mean, if the guy is like a prolific froggy songwriter that's neat, I need to hear all his art come out and (coughs) grace the world, then yeah. Give me the yeah. Crazy Frog Posthumous album. I mean, I just hope that he lived. I hope he lived the rock and roll lifestyle that you know he did. Everything. Maybe that's why he hung himself. He he didn't have the fame anymore. Maybe he's washed up. Yeah, playing all the old, playing all the little ponds, the little lakes. <laughs> all his little frog mates left him. Uh, the greasy lily pad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of his tadpoles are going hungry because he's got a drinking problem. Newt's getting for free. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Um, anyway, uh, my initial overhaul. R.I.P. That, Crazy Frog, by the way. Yeah, R.I.P. Well, Respect. I want to hear your posthumous album. Yeah. There is a lot of repetition. Like, a lot. This has got to be aimed at children. It's got to be with this level of repetition. Yeah, and there's 16 songs of it, so you've got plenty to choose from. It's a difficult listen if you'd like to stay for the whole ride. So, because of the repetition, the lazy dubbing of bling bling every 10 minutes. <laughs> that's that's a signature uh, line, that of it, is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is. It really is, Marv. No, listen to me. It really is. Um, yeah, it's really dated. Yeah, but I don't. I I also think it's obviously not meant to be taken as a very serious affair. Um, it's a cash grab. It happens. Um, in my opinion, it's easier to stare at a picture of him with his penis out for forty-eight minutes. <laughs> so the fact that it was censored, I think they've done themselves a disservice there. <laughs> they and could've, finally, they could have the last... doubled the revenue stream. Yep. Finally, the last track. You're not ready for this. I'm really not. Remember last week how we spoke about having fun on stage with Elvis on stage with Elvis whilst Elvis was on stage? Yeah, only if he was on stage though, yeah, but Karen. Yeah. Imagine a Crazy Frog song like that with no music. It's that just is, Crazy Frog talking. That is three minutes and eight seconds. It is called Crazy Sounds Acapella. <laughs> and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's three minutes, eight seconds of every conceivable frog noise with so much delay on it, it sounds as though it was put on via Internet Explorer. <laughs> it may be my favorite because there's more variety in that track than there is on any other track on the whole album. Oh. It literally sounds like a child got hold of a mic and a delay pedal. And I am not using amusing overkill with that statement. Could you could you somehow replicate that with the uh tools you've got by your feet? Because I know you've got uh, a guitar pedal hooked up. Oh, I could I could have could a little... you do a little imitation of the meep meep. Anyway, that's the end of that. 
Uh, overall, <laughs> I want to hear so much more, but I'm sure you do. Overkill. But people are listening here, Marv. <laughs> <laughs> so my overall, my last statement, my piece de resistance on the crazy frog presents crazy hits. <laughs> I've whittled it down to one sentence. No amusing overkill, just a fact. Probably not the worst album in existence. Just found it very tedious, boring most of the way through because of the repetition and the lazy techniques. So that's that. Yeah, yeah he worked bloody hard, he did, that crazy frog. That crazy oh, frog. Didn't he just? He wasn't the only one, I'll tell you that for nothing. I haven't laughed so much. In ages. No, In ages. So bloody order. Oh, that's mad though, isn't it? Like, again, you, I guess you got to like respect it for the fact that it wasn't meant to be anything musical this came from a guy making annoying sounds of a motorbike yeah someone's kind of gone that sounds like (laughs) that sounds like annoying thing and then they've changed it to frog and they've it's almost like they just kind of picked every single kind of like milestone it hit they went well let's just try it let's just try it the yeah the marketing seems a bit strange from my side of it's clearly aimed at kids and I, I, kids and teenagers, Obviously, adults, yeah. absolutely no way. Uh, maybe the types of songs they picked rattle my brain a little bit, and because they're not aimed at kids, the, the types of songs he's kind of doing. But I guess if you know, you look at something like "We Are the Champions," Axel F, uh, Popcorn. These are like older songs that I guess if a young child hears early on, even in that kind of strange format at least that exposes them to that and you have the effect like i have with the skate videos with my mum of like who's this oh pink floyd oh dolly parton oh bob Dylan. and then suddenly i'm listening to yeah. the good stuff you know that so, is a positive that is a positive a way of looking at it absolutely yeah. it's like like what we i think we've said it before on here in fact we must have the greta van fleet effect mm. kid brings it home goes listening to it like oh i love this dad comes in Oh, what are you listening to? This great new band. And he goes, oh, you have much to learn, young Jimmy boy. <laughs> Here's Led Zeppelin. Anyway. Anyways. Well, I might kick myself for saying this. Go on. But, but I will listen to it. I will <laughs> listen to it. I'm gonna A listen. bold claim. Now, do you think I should listen to Queen 2, then Crazy Frog? Other way round. Or Other should I listen round. to Crazy Frog? Yeah, and then be like, I cannot stand anymore. And then Queen Two will be such a relief that yeah. I'll give it such an over, overrated, overcorrected review. I'll be like, this is the best thing music's ever created. I think you should flip a coin, let fate okay. decide. I'll do heads Queen, and then I'll do fake computer generated frog penis for if it's Crazy Frog. Um, yeah, and I'll let you decide. Also, that's a very interesting coin. That'd be a very rare coin, wouldn't it? Heads and computer-generated frog penis. Um, if you've been affected by yes. any of the um, frog penis talk that we've uh, <laughs> talked about in this episode, then I would say to contact the Crazy Frog Twitter and DM James Merritt, along with uh, along with him incessantly having to listen to We Are The Champions. Just have a go at him. Have a go at him. And... <laughs> any frog facts. It doesn't have to be Crazy Frog. I mean, he's the most popular frog that I know of. You know, Kermit. Rupert the Bear. Oh, you stumped me there. And then Kermit his the nephew, frog. Robin. 
and his nephew Robin halfway up the looks stairs. Set to, look, looks set to take over the family empire. I haven't. <laughs> That's true. Not bad, for, not bad for a frog, though, is it, Marv? That is not bad. Frogs are actually killing it, I think, in the animal-related yeah. art and music arena. They're doing well. Before, Marv, you go on, bear in mind that the album I'm going to talk about after you has two things in common with the album I've just talked about. So remember that. Okay. Listeners are on okay. that as well. Two things in common. Well, I only did one today, um, but I went into quite good detail. So it is called Motown Classics, and it is a, by a, a band called A Lost for Words. It was released May 11th, 2010. So 11 years ago. Um, I've never heard of A Lost for Words. Uh, Me neither. They're a pop punk band. And I decided not to listen to any of their previous original work. Um, just dove into that covers album. I just dove into this covers album because I, in a way, didn't want to be influenced by. To to me, I guess on this this album, I will you know I will talk about that. Um, they probably sound like this. This is probably the blueprint. They sound like they've just swapped the songs out now. On paper, and using the right tools of the trade, you know, good proficiency, whatnot. Like this should work. You know, they're a pop punk band. They're playing pop songs that have, you know, those chord progressions and those melodic freedom that like 50s, 60s rock and maybe certain bands in the pop punk genre go to like 80s synth and new wave, like those kind of things. So those stock chord progressions we hear, um, like we said about the melodies, even like kind of lullaby-ish kind of melodies, but all the nice sweet notes too. You'd think this would work. It's just on paper of that alone. But I'm not entirely sure it does. Now, this album, to sum it up, again, if you want to stop now at the podcast, you're more than happy to, but it's a very pop-punk sounding band playing big Motown hits. That is essentially the the TLDR um, version of it. So, yeah. The first track, these are all bangers, by the way, the Motown songs they've picked. They just wanted to kind of do like a, um, they picked the songs which inspired them the most because they, they just wanted to show that they really loved Motown. So they're all very, very big songs. The first song we get is I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. Oh, no. Now. Oh, no. I love that song as well. Po- possibly one of the best songs of all time. Got to be. I think the, it would be in the discussion of the, what is one of the best even the best written pop song of all time would be in there for sure, but even just the best song of all time. So good. It's very, very good, everything about it. So um, this is the first thing we hear, and uh, what we get is like a lo-fi sound of like a distorted, mid-pitched kind of guitar line. It's not low and chunky. It's not high and widdly. It's in that middle range. Um, And my ears are just not retaining any of this instrumentation or arrangement so what i'm what i'm hearing is and again it kicks in and it's it's instantly like heavy drums and a lot of crashes and stuff and it's just like blanketed kind of uh wall of guitar sound and all i can hear is that piano slide and that really really nice um guitar tone on the original recording yeah so i kind of call it the fonzie effect um where whenever I think of the actor Henry Winkler, 
and I see him in anything. He could be in anything. He could be gr- dressed up as Crazy Frog. He could have painted himself blue, put on yeah, some goggles, yeah. and be riding around on an invisible bike. And I'm just going to go, there goes Fonzie. A common theme for all of these songs is that that's what happens. They're so iconic, you know, like even the sound of the original recording, everything about the frequencies, the tones, yeah. the timbres, the textures, even if it's in this kind of pop punk, very, very like pop punk trope, the typical thing you would think of pop punk being, even if you were to like, if I would say to you now, pick up a guitar and play what you think is pop punk, it would be what you would be hearing now and I want you back. Um, right. Trying to cover a song of that magnitude, you're just going to fall under the weight of it. So of essentially, course. repeat that times 10. That's really what kind of happens on this album. And that is, that's big. That's big. To yeah. Of, that's a big challenge to kind of face. So this kind of becomes the album's main faltering point when in principle, the formula is not changed. The only thing that's changed are the songs because they're just covers. Like I would even go yeah. so far as saying that I think if they kept their musical arrangement of I Want You Back and just put completely different lyrics over the top or they just sung one of their own songs they'd already released or literally sung anything. They could have sung one word the whole time. Um, I think it would produce a better result. And I think it would fix this kind of pop punk kind of trope issue that I, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't distract me so much. And them yeah. going into it and being like, ah, there's that guitar part. There's those octave <laughs> guitar parts. Yeah. Oh, that's that kind of kick drum thing. Oh, look, he's, he's, they're doing gang vocals that all the band members have to come in to chant. Oh, look, the vocalist is singing in that one away, you know? Um, and that just kind of makes me think it kind of goes into that thing of, well, <clears throat> the instrument chase, the instrumentation is the thing that's changed the most. The core progressions are all the same. Um, so I guess the arrangements are pretty much the same. And you just kind of get into that all that territory of like, why don't you just come up with an original song? Yeah. Why do this in the first place, you know? Um, and it also makes you think that maybe they should have just gone closer to the original. Yeah. But then you wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't be as much of a talking point because it would just be, here's a generic, <clears throat> here's, a, here's an album where we don't really sound like us playing songs that, Maybe our audience demographic either hate or don't like because it's not pop punk. And there you go. That's going to be good then, isn't it? So I kind of get that they kind of put themselves in this pigeonhole. And it's, I mean, what do you do? You just have to keep going. So you go on with the next track, My Girl. Oh, boy. Bear in mind, most of these are are sped up. So try and think of pop punk songs. Um, They don't really go to the original tempo. So My Girl kind of comes off sounding really amateurish. Now... The intro riff just sounds like Damn It by Blink-182. Right. Uh, it kind of utilizes like the open strings of the guitar, so the notes kind of bleed into one another. Imagine Damn It by Blink-182, but not with their craft. Their, no. their, you know, their nice fine line of like sounding amateurish, but like polished and fully formed. And it's yeah. like this weird gray area thing. They, they just execute so well. Um, the dynamics are just kind of sucked out of this track. We don't get any satisfying sonic push and pulls. Pretty much once you hear the intro and then it kind of kicks in, it does a little bit of a lull first. But then once you're kind of there pre-chorus, I guess you'd say that line, it's the same all the way through. You're just, you're just there. Volume-wise, you're yeah. just at a certain point. You're not going anywhere else. Um, now we get onto what I think is the worst track of the album. It's What's Going On. They're picking very, very big, massive, well-known, iconic songs from an yeah. iconic era of music 
that really changed, revolutionized um, so many things, created their own genre, created their own sound. Some of the best musicians we've ever had grace this earth, you know, easily connected to this Motown era. It spans quite a lot. I think it spans a good couple of decades, you know, Motown. It went yeah. on to probably, I think, the 80s, probably even more. Oh, but we easily, think it, we yeah. think We think about their 60s period, you know, as the golden era. Just incredibly well-written, tight, no fat on them pop songs that just yeah. transcend time, transcend the date, transcend everything. They are just so good. And we've played some of these songs. We've played Amazing. My Girl, you know. But yeah. the difference here is that we don't have a sound necessarily. The The understanding in the room, wherever we are, is that we are there to provide you these songs. So people, yeah. aren't gonna, people aren't coming to see us because we sound a certain way. Obviously, we have our own sound because we are humans playing music, performing sounds, performing songs. So you're going to have to you have a certain flair to it. But generally... We're trying to recreate that thing. So, you know, the bass player will maybe put a sponge in the back of the strings to get that muted kind of sound. Um, the drummer might play a certain way and play certain fills. You're going to pick a guitar which suits that um, era but that's maybe close to the what the musician played. You know, we go that far. Whereas here, it's like we're established. We are a pop punk band. We're going to keep the same original recipe, basically. Just incorporate the song into this incorporate the chords incorporate the lyrics that's pretty much it they're not going for no hmm, i wonder what marvin gay kind of uh what his inflection was here all that stuff now nah, just sing it just sing the songs these, these are the lyrics mate um yeah so yes to me this is the worst offender <clears throat> a song so powerful in its lyrics and its message um yeah we're kind of treated to like a slam dance yelling chants sing along to shout at our loudest and happiest kind of trope um, it seems to remove all the meaning to the words. It just kind of strips them down to what the words mean, you know? Yeah. What the word the means, what the words going on means, you know? No context there. So the second vocalist singing trope happens here as well. So pop punk usually has, you have one main singer. Some of them do have two lead singers, but usually it's one main singer. And then you've got this second guy who either does like the bridge or does like the build up pre-choruses or joins in on the shouty kind of uh, repeats in a chorus. Um, and it's usually, usually the basis because guitarists are too worried about their tone, cables, pedal switching, their hat, what they look like, what their right hand's doing, what their left hand's doing. Is their fretboard clean? Is the strings being palm muted? All these kind of things, right? To, to try and even attempt to do a solid vocal. Um, and usually it's just shouting. It's just like very high, kind of high pitched and just kind of one note and whatever. But again, you can, you've probably heard this a million times. So just think of that. This yeah. is what I mean. Just think of those references and you'll listen to this and go, it's exactly what I thought it was. It is, Literally. it is Ron Sill. Literally. It, if Ron Sill could, could perform an album, that's exactly what it would be. Does what it says on the tin. Exactly. So Instead of this being, again, I'll probably just, I'll try and say this right now. Instead of being a very political and racial and social uh, themed song, it really kind of gets you thinking and wondering. And I'd say it was quite revolutionary for its time indeed. Um, it just comes across as a message to like angsty teens. 
So when we hear the line, but who are they to judge us simply because our hair is long? I just think of oh, pop no. punk, man. Mom and dad tell me what to do. And I just want to eat pepperoni pizza. Yeah. That is just all I hear. And, and that's what it does. That, that zaps all meaning. Yeah. All yeah. meaning to the whole song. Um, next one. No, I wasn't expecting this one, but I really want you to, I want you to kind of give a maybe estimation of what you think this sounds like. So we've got all night long by Lionel Richie. That's it. So the face you did there, which was frowning, leaning forward, and a little bit of mouth agape. What's your first thoughts? That a pop punk band, a very generic pop punk band, sounding wise, are doing all night long. It. Um... <sighs> okay, two words, and they're going to be two words. That I'm going to be using a fair bit in this last half of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Who asked? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. I want to see if anybody asked for this, and they're listening to Old Mess right now. Just pop me a message saying "me," nothing else, just the word <laughs> "me." All right. I, to be fair, I'm already. I am not the biggest fan of that song. It's fine. It's okay. But a, a, a pop punk version of it. A pop punk version of it. Think about all the nuance, especially in the intro, right? I would say that the intro is like, it's not that it's confusing. No. I would say it has certain nuances. It has a build. It has a build and it has certain nuances and rhythms that kind of leave you in a little bit of like a dangling space. Yes. And you're not necessarily grounded. Even, I think when the vocals come in, is when you're fully on the floor and you fully know where you are, where the yes. where the first beat is and you're straight into the verse. I think that's a very good device. Now, yeah. take all that away. Keep in the same intro, but take all of the nuance away. Play it very straight. You know exactly where you are from the first bit. And all you've got are all you've got are drums, you've got a distorted guitar, and then you've got a kind of less distorted, kind of crunchy-ish guitar. In terms of how the album is, it's done it's it's done the song justice, if you view it in the context of this album. I'm not really mad at it. It doesn't apart from the uh bridge, it doesn't really embarrass himself. They they go for it on the bridge, fair enough. They don't go for it on the intro and the uh play on play on bit, but there are trumpets. I don't even know if they're real. Um they're low in the mix, but they sound really like a first take, like the, the trumpet's gone. I'm just going to play what I'm playing, all right? Just so you've got a rough feel of it. He's played it. It's a bit rough timing-wise, kind of swaying a bit, and they've just gone, yeah, whatever. We've got to go in 10 minutes, mate. That gives, again, another thing of, like, if you're going to commit, go all the way. So I don't know if they're real or not. They could be real. Weird. But even Weird. if they are real, they don't sound real. <laughs> um, the next one is I just call to say I love you. Now... Not in Stevie Wonder's classic period, this song. I think it came out in the 80s. And I want to say this is the first number one song where um, the person wrote, produced, arranged it, wrote it, wrote it, wrote it some more. Um, basically, they did everything and it got to number one. Played all the instruments. Um, that's a cool little fact. My factoid. So this is where the kind of a, a big clash happens. So... Pop punk's usually like a very diatonic affair. 
um, they pick a key and they kind of play the chords that you hear in, in that key and don't go out of it. So they stay, it's very neutral. It sounds yeah. very normal sounding, uh, you know, resolutions kind of uh, uh, happen and you just know that it's there. Your ear is, is, is waiting to hear certain chord changes. Um, and again, they're mostly in happy keys, major keys. Um, D major being a great one. And again, these chord progressions that we hear quite a lot in thousands of hit songs, the one, four, five progression, the one, five, six, four progression, the one, six, four, five, that is the do what progression stand by me, for example, the one, six, two, five, which is like a jazzy one, but we hear that quite a lot. Um, one I was thinking about earlier, which would be the six, two, six, two, five, one. That's another um, good pop punky one. Yeah. So, you know, we hear this a lot in pop punk songs and in just normal pop songs, but the thing that changes is the instrumentation and the decoration and the melodies. So that kind of gets around it. For someone who maybe gets a bit tired of simple music and simple chord progressions, um, I kind of flit in and out with it. Not that it's a love-hate, but sometimes I want some complexity, sometimes I don't. So if someone can kind of come up with something new with these old chords and my my brain doesn't instantly go towards it and go oh that's just that's just these three chords i'm impressed i'm always impressed um a melody can go so far so the chorus of i just called to say i love you uh just is it's pretty much four to five to one um so it's very very stopped we've heard it quite a lot um and that should work right that should work it's not a hard thing to pull off definitely not we've got the subject matter lines up right but the pop punk narrative boy meets girl check the chorus chords and the melody are simple they're short in range and they follow a pop punk chord progression double check but the verses the verses now oh boy things about the verses are if you're not aware if you're not aware of i just called to say i love you if you're not you need to you need to listen to the whole podcast then go listen to it then go to this exact point and stop <laughs> and then go listen to the uh, song um it has key changes it has modulations so it goes out of the key it, it goes higher you yeah know? um and only when that happened i was like oh wow pop punk shouldn't do this pop no. punk can cannot handle modulations key changes there's a reason why i've not heard it and it's for this very, very reason. It sounds very, very jarring. Okay, so what happened there is like, it kind of made me go, oh, this now sounds like a new pop punk song. It sounds like it's a new song. Even though it's using the same chords I've just heard for the first maybe 25, 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, because like we said, a lot of these pop punk songs use the same chords. Everyone uses the same thing. Yeah, they just course. put different melodies over the top, maybe different sounds and tones that it kind of lifted the veil, so to speak. It kind of shown you where the bunny was hiding in the top hat. <laughs> so you've yeah. gone, that's why I like that Green Day song and that Blink song and the Weezer song and all these other songs and this sto Story So Far song. It's because they use that chord progression. Yeah. Thank you, A Lost For Words. You, you've, you've shown me the way. On paper, it works. Let's pick good pop songs that definitely work, that definitely are just amazing. Let's just put them two together. Why is it clashing? Like, like, what do you think is your explanation there? I know you haven't heard it, but like, how would you, what do you think is up? I mean, obviously they've, they've tried to take, as you've already touched upon, nuances from separate genres and separate sort of playing styles and stuff 
It sounds to me like that's what they've done. They've gone, this will definitely work. And maybe in theory it did. Maybe when they were practicing it, it genuinely sounded great. But an actual recorded organic version of this this thing clearly just isn't cutting the mustard, is it? And I I I'm hesitating to rag on band members and oh and it's this person's fault and they need to be better and pop punk musicians aren't that good. It's I I don't think it's got a lot to do with that. Because just by learning these songs alone, they've probably done their homework on it, I would I would hope and trust. Um yeah. that's what I think I think it's just a bit of a juxtaposition because they've tried to do one thing and clearly it's not worked very well, unfortunately. Let's stop poo-pooing on the album. Let's go into one that actually works. They do You Can't Hurry Love. Now I can see that working more. Again, so look at the lyrics. It's about it's about love. Yeah. There's a lot of like, look at the line, but how many heartaches must I stand before I find the love to let me live again? How emo is that? So emo. <laughs> how emo is that? I think the Supremes actually invented emo. I think they are emo. So, and then look at the other songs. You Keep Me Hanging On, Stop in the Name of Love. More that I know about. But it's all there. It's all there. Dana Ross. Queen of emo, queen of emo. But yeah, that really, really works. That kind of boy meets girl, the pain of love that comes with all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and again, when they shift to that line, the 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 chords represent that in the original and it really is effective here. You know, the lift into the chorus is really, really good. I think the lyrics match well with the pop punk tropes and I'm a fan of it. This is where it works. This is where it works and the dynamics aren't necessarily needed and I can... I, I, I think this is the good blueprint for where to start. I think this would be the one to include. If they were on a tribute album, they had one track to submit, this would be the one I would pick. Yeah. But it has to live. It has to live with what's going on. This is the problem. It lives with all these other, with all these other songs. Yeah. When we talked about cover songs earlier, that's fine because you're just thinking it's just one song. Just one song. But when you've got a whole album of it, they have to live with each other. They come from the same cloth, you know? Exactly, um, yeah. You know, it's really thoroughly enjoyable. And I also think, you know, I'd love to... I think the band were playing My Girl live, so I would have loved to have seen this, You Can't Hurry Love Live. And I think that, you know, for 2010, so 11 years ago, I think this might be like a prototype for the kind of unironic covers of pop songs that pop punk bands do now. So Neck Deep did the cover of Torn, which is Natalie and Bruglia, which in itself is a cover. Um, but people just know the torn version. But, you know, I don't think that maybe would have happened if it wasn't for this. I don't know how much influence this album had, but, you know, no one was doing that really at the time. I don't know anyone since that the pop punk band tried to do a Motown stuff. So it's unique in that way. I have to respect that. They hit it again. Do you love me? The contours. They yeah. speed it up. And I think it really works. It made me laugh. And... It's a song about asking if you love someone more because their dance moves are kind of like a mashed potato kind of thing, the twist. Nice. You know, it's about dancing and it's a fast pace so you can just mosh around to it. You know, the only thing that lets it down is it is short. It's gone on a flash. And I'm like, oh, guys, you are like, you're onto it here. You finally yeah. hit the stride and now it's gone. And now it's gone. I think it's less than two minutes long, but yeah, it was really, really cool. Really, really cool. 
How can I defend this, Mez? How can I defend it? Well, you, could you could defend it in the uh, in the ways we spoke about before, in terms of like it would be better if they'd had the foresight to maybe collaborate with other artists, maybe take those two songs that really, really worked and elaborate on them. It could be viewed as a prototype for, hey, look, you can do any song you want. It's music at the end of the day. Don't worry about the genre you are. Don't worry about your audience. Do the songs that you like, whatever. Like, just do them. You never know. It'd be nice if they did, like, either if they did lesser-known uh, Motown songs that maybe the, the the sheer iconicness of the originals wouldn't just be overshadowing and they wouldn't be constantly fighting with this. Um, that might be a factor. Um, maybe if they just didn't come off as so generic and interchangeable pop punk. I mean, that's sound harsh, but it brings nothing new or unique to its genre. Maybe if a different band tried it, like you said, Maybe if they just got loads of bands and did a Motown yeah. trivia album, I think that would have worked. Yeah. I think of songs like Uptight by Stevie Wonder, Get Ready by Rare Earth. I think they would work better as pop punk. Especially with Uptight, the fact it's got about two chords. Yeah. Um, that would work the, the better. Lyrical ma- it would just work better, yeah. And Get Ready having that kind of riff as well. Again, shorter notes. I just think something like that would work. Um Yeah, or not just sticking to Motown. Why don't they just try just doing a bunch of different ones? I think that may have would have worked. And then it would have made stuff like You Can't Hurry, Love, and Do Let Me stand out more. And then we could actually go, these are really, really good. I like this. Um, Again, it just begs that question. But again, I think it's a bold experiment to kind of tackle these giant songs and to bring something new. And I believe an untried thing at the time, this kind of genre blend here, the pop punk, um again like we said i think it influenced i feel like it might have influenced these kind of unironic pop song covers um so for that aspect i kind of i kind of respect it on the aspect of that like it's just going for it yeah that that's what you should all be like anyways just go for stuff see what happens don't be worried about if it's not gonna be received well or anything like just go for it and if you do if you commit and you do it with all sincerity i think that stands out the most Absolutely. That, that helps that even kind of colors your end opinion i think in a good way is that as long as it's done sincerity and it's not a cash grab and it's not you know much like crazy frog he went in there with all sincerity he knew what he was up to so i respect <laughs> crazy frog in that regard i respect this band you know um and i think you can't hurry love and do do you love me great yeah. i would to the point where i if we ever do a ski season again when we're in France and they like pop punk, they like rock songs, I would want to do these two songs. I think yep. they might actually work. So maybe next year we might do it. Who knows? Who knows? It'd be very interesting to do. But I could see how it applied to like a young audience. So like who yeah. only know pop punk, they only know Blink, they only know this song or these, this band, sorry. And they go, I like this. And then it spawns them into going into listen to Motown. And that's great. Getting stuck in one genre not great it happens when you're younger really because you're kind of more there's a lot of other factors of like what would people think of me if i listen to this um, am i saying true am i going to be hated on for do, for listening to this it doesn't really matter um i think that when you get older you don't really worry about that stuff so it's a good kind of dip in their toe in the other water to other stuff um i don't hate the album i would say go listen to it i think if you're a pop punk fan and don't know 
you don't hold the original songs in such a high esteem maybe as i do or maybe like people that don't know any pop punk would do with the originals i think you'll get along with it much better i think the pop punk tropes won't annoy you but if you are of a motown 60s 70s rock uh fan pop fan you're gonna struggle you're gonna struggle but try to respect the try to respect the attempt and the attempt and the intent that's happened here and yeah absolutely there you go there you go so mez if you want to listen to it you go do it and we'll chuck i'll chuck um i'll chuck you can't hurry love onto the playlist and then maybe i'll chuck i want you back or what's going on onto the playlist too so good and about yeah um I will I will go and listen to that. It sounds like an interesting feat. Yeah. You said you got a nice special surprise, the second yes. album. I want to hear it. You're in, you're in the dark yes, as well. It looks to me ominous. I am in the dark. It has gone dark outside. Quite sad. Oh, uh, well, getting darker later now, so that's something. Um, Yes, I have another album to talk about today. It is not as... Um, not as discriminatory as Crazy Frog presents Crazy Hits. It's something a bit more closer to home. It is Undercover by Ozzy Osbourne. It is the first and only cover album he has ever done. It was released in 2005. Now, that is the first correlation with Crazy Frog presents Crazy Hits. That is the first correlation. Think about how weird that is. Think about how weird that is. One from one end of the spectrum, Crazy Frog is releasing crazy hits. From another, Ozzy Osbourne is releasing Undercover. One of metal's biggest icons, biggest artists ever. So released on Epic Records. It is 55 minutes long, so bear that in mind. This is a serious album, and it is only seven minutes longer than Crazy Frog Presents Crazy Hits. That crazy Um, This is interesting. The album charted at number 50 on the Swedish albums chart, 67 on the UK albums chart, 95 on the Swiss albums top 100, and 134 on Billboard 200. So... Are you telling me if that I... Crazy Frog did better than this album? Yep. Yep. Isn't that mad? Crazy Frog presents crazy hits. Utterly, unbelievably outsold Ozzy Osbourne's first and only covers album. It's just quite lazy covers. Um, they're relatively Aussied up, if you like. They've got their Aussie-isms. Um, but for me, there's no real depth or content in comparison to the original tracks. I will mention one track now, and even just reading the track list and seeing this song there absolutely told me that it was just like, it's just a Lazy Covers album. All the Young Dudes. Oh, no. And on top of that, Ian Hunter, the vocalist of Mott the Hoople, <laughs> appears on it. So it's, it's just not even a cover, really? <laughs> not really, no. <laughs> My good Lord. Um... In my opinion, I didn't need to hear Ozzy singing In My Life, and I didn't need to hear him singing Working Class Hero. Um, he doesn't do the worst job on them, I, I would say. He, he's, it's okay, it's fine. Um, yeah, 
it was like I said when I heard all the young dudes. I just realised that is is another metal musician trying to release something just to say relevant, make sales. Though it was more than likely the work of Sharon, because we all know how much Sharon Osbourne likes the money, don't we? First song, Rocky Mountain Way. Um, fine, okay. That's all I have to say on that one. <laughs> Second song, In My Life. As I've already said, I didn't need to hear it. I mean, it, to me, Ozzy has a very specific, a very noticeable vocal. And that vocal, to me, does not lend itself well to In My Life. That's how I feel about that. Um, Yeah, it, he's just got a very particular voice. That's how I feel about that. The next song is Mississippi Queen. And on it is Leslie West playing a solo. The guy from Mountain who plays the original, yeah, who originally did Mississippi Queen. Absolutely correct. Uh, then we've got um, an absolute classic, which I'm going to say the name of, and I'm going to see if you can decide which artist he is covering here. The song is Fire. I would say Jimi Hendrix, but if you tell me it's the Arthur Brown one, it's the Arthur Brown one. I What? It's Arthur Brown, yeah. And it is it is bizarre. It is absolutely bizarre. Um, then we have Working Class Hero, which, like I said, he doesn't butcher it, but I didn't really need to hear it. Then we have Sympathy for the Devil, um, which, again, is fine. I'm not really sure. I mean, it's, it's over nearly... Uh, it's just under a minute longer than the original. Um, yeah, it's just fine. It's just fine. I, I, I have nothing else really to say about the whole affair. Um, but yeah, in terms of genre creating and band inspiring, few have done more than Ozzy. Uh, with his, uh, I mean, we've spoken about his solo albums a million times, haven't we? Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Madman, Bark at the Moon, Good Lord. That completely changed metal forever in my opinion, absolutely changed the, the entire game. Indeed. Um, he, and he got to write some of the best metal at the time that still holds up now. He got to work with some of the best and biggest names in the business, released some amazing material prior because of obviously his time in Black Sabbath. Again, the subject that often crops up in our conversations, Marv, we both adore Sabbath and good Lord, the early stuff. Oh my <laughs> Don't get me started. Don't get me started. But it seems really random and unneeded that he's added this to his repertoire. Um, it's the first and only covers album, as I've said. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, some of the songs have their charm in different ways. Um, but I just don't like the sound of his voice on some of them. Um, or could it be the fact that I'm used to hearing him sing certain things in certain genres. Could I be rose-tinted glasses on old Ozzy Osbourne here? Could it, could it be me with the problem? Um, but yeah, overall, not an offensive album. Well-produced, good players on there, played well, relatively easy on the ears. But to me, it's, it's nothing I haven't heard before. It's nothing I haven't heard before. So, what's your take? Why, why would he have done that? Is that just a cash grab, or... 
did he just sit up in 2004, 2005 and go, oh, Sharon, I want to, yeah. And then he got in the studio. I mean, I mean, at this point in his career, he didn't need to prove anything to anybody. He'd almost, nope. he, he was in his like third phase. He'd already done Black Sabbath, smashed a game in that, then left, you know, was basically holed up in a hotel drinking and drugging himself to death. Gets reborn as a solo artist, completely smashes that as well. Yep. And then becomes a reality TV star at the Osbournes, which was the first of its kind to really be the way it was and is the template for things like the Kardashians, which are absolutely massive now. Yeah. So he was a massive TV star at that point. I mean, he, he, he's Ozzy Osbourne. He is of that ilk. He can just, he can do whatever he wants. If, he's a pop culture icon. He can do whatever he wants. And if you want to dip in and see what he's up to, fair enough. But you have so much classic iconic stuff to go to you can't really be mad it's not like he's a in his classic period and then he's dropped something like this and you think oh that's bad and it's to stop the train dead in its tracks he doesn't need to do that yeah i just think he had nothing left to prove he just wanted to do something sharon's great at marketing and great at promotion and great at the kind of business side of it fair enough release it at the height of the osborne's tv fame why wouldn't you i don't i think it maybe ties yeah. into it ties in more into that than it does maybe his yeah. musical legacy. And again, younger audiences who may who may only know him as a TV star go, oh, he does music. And it ropes in both the younger audience and the older audience, maybe in terms of songs. Um, maybe comes across as a TV personality singing songs for the younger audience. So I maybe. guess in that regard, as a marketing decision, it works. But I guess yeah. in execution... It just comes across as nothing special, nothing new, nothing ventured. So it just becomes forgotten about. And that's why no one talks about yeah. it. At least if it's an epic, epic mess of a failure of an album, um, that's why people talk about it. But this is why we pick it up and we still talk about it. Nothing to prove. He, he's just carrying on doing what he does. And I still, I still have an element of respect for that because it, it shows that he clearly loves what he does. Otherwise, he would have released stuff up until i don't know like we were saying until um hair metal grunge came out and then he would have gone right i'm gonna go retire enjoy it lads see you later yeah um but yeah so i mean i don't know i think it's all down to perspective i think i think in a way it could be seen as a cash grab as in undercover um it's obviously gonna make money obviously it didn't do very well but it's ozzy osbourne it's gonna sell it's going to sell somewhere yeah. because because it's Ozzy Osbourne. It's the Metallica effect. Because he released it, it is bound to sell some form of copies, isn't it? Absolutely. They have, artists like that have a baseline audience that will buy absolutely everything they do. Yes. And that's, that's, Which that's is, the goal. Is, it really is. Yeah. It really is the goal. You can release anything and it's going to sell. Imagine having that level of confidence where it's just like, ah, well, we'll put it out. It'll it'll buy me another uh, another Ferrari or something. Yeah, it, it'll, it'll guarantee make its money back. Stuff like that, you know. I think as yeah. well, this album doesn't hurt his legacy. I don't like I said. No, even at the time it came out, it doesn't hurt his legacy, and he can just get on with stuff, and people can see it as an oversight. 
and they can dip into yeah. it if they really want to. If you if you're a purist and want to get a bit more of it, and I would like to listen to it purely for Jerry Cantrell, that that piques my interest. There is a lot of great guitar work on this album. I will say that for it. Um, in fact, j- just generally, I mean, there's just some good musical performance on it. Um, like I said, my one my one issue with it is I didn't really need to hear it. No one really asked for it. But as we've said, as we've discussed, as we've ran around with. But yeah, I recommend you go and listen to it because it's it's not as offensive as the album I talked about before. Nowhere near. Um, but yeah, like I said, some some songs have their charm. Uh, and I'm going to give you one last quote because it's absolutely killer. In the end, we stumble upon Sympathy for the Devil, the Rolling Stones classic, ossified and extended to 7 minutes 11, with Latin flavour and Muppet-esque rhythm added for good measure. I can even imagine Kermit and Miss Piggy dancing to this. Although Undercover is miles away from a masterpiece, it's still more listenable than anything Aussie made in the last 20 years. Down-to-earth, Black Rain, Scream. A fact that speaks volumes about the decadence of this once-creative heavy metal icon. Icon? Icon. What song would you put into the playlist, then? If you had to pick one song off of this. Um, what, maybe one bad one and one good one. One bad one and one good one. That's a toughy old Marvel, I'll tell you that, me boy. All the young dudes, just because I know it annoys you. <laughs> Thanks. And I'm not going to tell you which one's good and which one's bad. All the young dudes, because I know it annoys you. And fire. Okay, okay. Well, we'll put them in the playlists. Um, we'll have the Spotify playlists up and ready. Same with yeah. the YouTube ones. And yeah, let us know what you think about them. Let us know what you think about any of these albums. Let us know about any albums that you, any cover albums you know that we've missed and you've gone, this one takes the cake. This one's very yes. interesting. And we want to hear it and want to listen to it. Um, yeah, that's the podcast done. That is that's cover us. albums. Please let us know any other cover albums we've missed. Please give us all of your in- feedback and opinions. And even if you just want to annoy us, remember to message james underscore merrick guitar on instagram and tell him to listen to we are the champions by crazy frog oh lord facebook instagram twitter 50 ways podcast that's five o ways podcast um patreon 50 ways podcast basic tiers three pound a month and you get the full unedited episode a day early you get a shout out on the episode you also get things like our episode notes so the things that we kind of read off of and our detailed research and things that maybe we didn't even include um even in the uncut version which at the Indeed. minute is two hours and 46 minutes so i mean you're getting Lovely. a lot of content for your butt yep but <laughs> you know you don't want to subject anybody to that um you know on purpose so i mean if you want to pay the money and you want to listen to it and you can you've got a spare yeah, two you weeks thing, yeah <laughs> you can do We're talking thing. about you jack sharp Oh, that's a good segue. Jack Sharp, one of our patrons. He does music under Loops and Landscapes. We went to university with him. Great guy. He's going to be on Great the podcast guy. next week, Merritt. Yeah. And we're going to do, we're doing, the episode is going to be albums that follow up the band's or artist's biggest commercial success or their biggest Lovely. album. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting one. Um, 
first guest on there. We'll see how that goes. And I can't wait. And Merritt's going to take us out now. You take us away, bud. Yeah, so the uh, the song following up is a one of the songs that is going to be appearing on my upcoming solo album. I mentioned last week it is a song called Constance. There is no real meaning. There is no nothing really to read into in the title. It's just a, a tune I enjoy putting together. Really enjoyed the process. And uh, I hope you enjoy it as well. Thank you very much. Give me feedback. I'm interested to hear what your your little luggles think of it. <laughs> or big so luggles. listening. Or big luggles, you know. Or big ones. Or medium sized. <laughs> Any size is fine. So thanks for listening. And we shall speak to you next week. Next week. Then. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers, Bye-bye. God. Bye.